We're going to go ahead as we take the offering. We're going to go ahead and dive right into the sermon because I am incredibly excited about this sermon. I've never been excited about a sermon before, so this is new. <laughs> so here's how I want to start. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to Facebook. <laughs> uh, by the way, if you're online, you can click the give button. Thank you for that, Becky. But just when you thought it was safe to go back to Facebook, you know, another tweet goes out, another thing happens, and all of a sudden, boom, there goes the fire again. It's over here, and it's over there, and it's over here, and over there, and everything else. And, and I want to say something. Thank God that, as we said last week, that the, that the tone continues, uh, the tone and the volume and the number of people continues to decrease. Thank God for that. But never, ever, ever does that mean that we shouldn't be discussing these things. It means that we need to know how to discuss these things in an entirely different fashion than throwing gasoline on a fire, right? I'm never arguing for let's not talk about it because it makes people upset. To the contrary, I'm actually a huge believer in you got to talk about the things that are going to upset you because if you don't, you can't be one. You can't actually, right? You can't actually connect and you can't actually move things if all you're going to do is every time things get difficult, sweeping behind you. So I'm a big believer in speaking, but I'm also a big believer in speaking in a way that preserves the dignity of the other human being, that respects them and holds them in high regard. So I want to say, thank God that the volume is going, that, that the, the, the incendiary volume is going down. And I also want to say, thank God that there's a lot more of the voices that I'm starting to hear where people are actually trying to reach across. And trying to understand where other people are coming from. And they're trying to present things from how they think, but how you think, but how. And there's an attempt that's being made to reach across gaps and gulfs. And that's what God would have us do, right? So thank God for that. But let's do be clear about something. If we were to take all, this people, all the people in this room and say, who is what we call in psychological terms conflict averse? Meaning they would prefer to avoid conflict. In this church, it'll be slightly higher because we tend to value the candid conversation. But nonetheless, you'd still only find 20% at most of this congregation would raise their hands and say, I'm good with confrontation. The other 80% would say, basically, you know, if I could cut off my foot and avoid the confrontation, I'm good with that. Right? You know, just get me out. I don't care. Just get me out. And so when I start talking about this whole topic... Right now, I just want to be aware of the fact, and I want us to all be aware of the fact that there's a good 60 plus percent of this congregation that's saying, oh my God, he's not going to talk about that again, is he? <laughs> and can't you just shut up? And I come here to get away from the world, you know? So don't keep dragging me back into it, right? I'm getting muddy and I don't like it. So I get that, but can I ask you to do something here today? I, I, I think there's two ways of being done. You know, the first way of being done with something is, I'm done with that. I don't care. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Put it behind me. Put a door there. Lock a door. Throw the key away. You know what I mean? I'm done with this. I don't want to talk. I don't care. Just don't talk about it. The other way of being done with a thing is to actually get past it. Is to actually have something happen that so gets you, captures you, in your imagination, in your heart, in your mind, everywhere, that so captures you that you suddenly become different. And the whole experience of this thing that we're experiencing right now is not confrontation, oh my God, I hate it. It's all of a sudden God has opportunity. Always remember something. One of the reasons why we tend to embrace confrontation a little bit more in this family is because I believe something deeply and a lot of other people have also believe it and have discovered it and so on, and that is every conflict is actually an opportunity. If you'll just find it. God's doing something, right? I have argued with you that God is the one who is smashing things. And I don't just mean in the culture. That certainly has happened. I mean in the church too. Smashing relationships, smashing things, creating fault lines in places that they didn't seem to exist at all. They did. In retrospect, you could see where they were, but they weren't an issue before. And now God's the one that's bringing it up. But always remember what God's doing is we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And that just by golly may mean Trump getting elected. And it may mean the division that has happened because of that. 
It may mean that God actually has a plan and a purpose in it. It may mean that there's something in this that is not just a pain, but is glorious. That is incredible. And I don't mean that Trump will get in his agenda or anything. I mean, God has a much bigger picture to it. And so that's what we're going to get today. And I want to ask you to be something. I want to ask you to become resurrection Christians. Sunday morning Christians. Not Friday Friday Christians, where when Christ dies, it's too much, you can't take it, so you're done with it, and you sweep it away and just live in denial about it. I want you to be the kind of Christians who will press through to the end and get to Sunday morning where the victory is. Because I'm telling you, I think we're there. This sermon, I don't know how many more God's got with it, I think we're pretty close to done. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last sermon that I'm doing on this. I, I think it might be. You never know. God's in control. But I think it is. And I, I, that's not prophetic, okay? I hope it is. <laughs> but can I say something this way? We've gone through an awful lot of horse manure. Let's hang in there till we find the pony. <laughs> right? Right? Okay? So on that note, we're going to pray. And Nancy Tarbert, this is awesome with the, with the Bible study that you do, the community Bible study, everything else. This is an incredible couple. Their family, she's actually got her kids here, so great choice to pick her right with the kids. You can show off for them now. So uh, pray for the sermon. Uh, lift up another church too. Thanks. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for the home that we've all found in it. Um, I thank you for for you speaking through Kurt and um, helping us to come closer to you. Amen. Uh, I, I uh, praise you for um, the home we have here. I want to lift up uh, Vintage Church in Santa Monica where uh, our kids and Amen. their friends all go, where they hear your word, Lord. Amen. And where they praise your name. Uh, may we all be able to praise your name each and every day. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a resident of Venice, I'm loving hearing that there's a great church in Santa Monica because that was not the case for a lot of years. So if there's something great there, I, I'm really excited about that. Okay. In order for you to get the revelation that God gave me just a couple of weeks ago when I was in Jackson, I need to tell you a story. And I need you, as we do with stories, as we're supposed to with stories, I need you to enter into the story as me so that you go through the steps that I went through so that hopefully the revelations that God gave me will be revelations to you, not just information. We're never just going for information. We're going for that aha moment that makes you go, oh my gosh, that's true, and that's deeper, and that's richer, and I need to get there, okay? So here's how the story goes. There is a couple in this church who I adore, and I mean, they're just, you know, there's a lot of people in this church that I adore, and thank God for that. I'm, you know, this is, I'm so fortunate, but the bottom line is, is this is a couple who I've just been very, 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 very close to, and it has been incredibly rich and important in my life. I mean, the conversations that we get into, there's difference. We're not the, just this, and, the, and the difference becomes <clears throat> this opportunity to go deeper in all things. And it has been, I just really want to put this the right way, it has been tremendously valuable to me to be in relationship with this couple. Okay? So, uh, they are of a different political persuasion than I am. I am roughly conservative. Uh, they are roughly liberal, and I would, I, I just, well, anyway, but they're roughly progressive, and, uh, and I'm more than roughly, but, and me too, but the bottom line is, is none of us are perfectly anything anymore, and do you remember, when God's doing these fault lines, he's redefining what liberal and conservative mean. If you really are paying attention, four, five, ten years from now, we're going to think about all these things quite differently than we do right now, because he's doing a lot of stuff. But having said that, the point is, is that we would have these discussions and we're really close and so on. And this person posted something online which uh, was typical, very thoughtful, it was respectful, it was appropriate. It was about the ACH, which is Affordable Care Act, and the repeal and replace, what's the new plan, what's going to happen, and so on. And this family happens to have a situation going on in the family where, and don't, please don't try and figure out who this is. Some of you are going to know instantly, but don't figure out who it is. It's not the point. And the point isn't about the Affordable Care Act, okay? Or 
you're right? So, but the point is, is that in this discussion, this person brought up that there's a change that's happening and that this change could very easily cost them a ton of money. Be very difficult for them. Now, just to show you the kind of caliber of the person that I'm talking about here, this person was, was saying and said, so in the original post said, I want to make it clear um, we are one of the fortunate ones who, even though it will be quite difficult for us, even though it'll be very financially harmful, we can still afford it. So my post is really about the millions of people dealing with very similar situations that cannot. Okay? And what's going to happen to them? Are they going to fall through the cracks? As, frankly, had been the case before ACH. Do you remember something? My brother Dave got prostate cancer before there were pre-existing conditions and was never able to get health insurance for it and spent hundreds of thousands, really, truly, well over a million bucks to keep himself alive for the 10 years that he did. So this is not an abstract concern of mine. This is real. This is my own brother who I watched, unable to afford and to get. Well, he could afford it because he was, but you get the point. It was exhausting his resources and did exhaust them in ways that would be quite helpful if that hadn't happened to Jan that those resources could have been quite helpful to her at this point in time. So you, you catch the drift. So the point is, is I see this post, it, it hits me, and, and my response is care. I want to comfort. So I respond in a way, and there's two ways of comforting in this kind of situation, right? One of them would be, I'm so sorry, I hope this doesn't happen, I'll pray, who do I contact, blah, blah, blah. And the other way of handling it, which is the way I did, is I not only said that, but I also said, I'm not entirely certain if the concern that you're having is going to happen, and here's why. And then we had this exchange, and the exchange is not important. This isn't about healthcare or anything. But basically, it was an exchange between what you would, a conservative viewpoint of the world and a liberal viewpoint of the world, where, where one person was saying, there are things that happen in the free market which hurt people, and the government needs to be there to help make sure that that doesn't happen. And, the, and there's other people, conservatives, that are saying, I get that, and that is important, and it needs to be preserved for real. We all agree that there is a certain amount of protections that need to be in place, but then there's this choking down that can happen to the free market that causes innovation and progress and cheapness and so on to not happen. And so we're, we're having this discussion. It was a perfectly fine, wonderful conversation, okay? Don't misunderstand. It was good conversation. But the reason why I'm telling you this story is because something was happening to me as we were having this back and forth. And what happened to me was as I began to grieve. And I mean grieve, as in losing two brothers' grief. If you know me, you know how important my friends are. They're everything to me. They, when, you, when you're my friend, you're knit. And when you pull away, it's ripping away flesh. It's ripping something away. And it feels like that to me. And what I felt in this conversation was, as much as we could very much be still friends, as much as we could still very much be cordial and respectful and humble and all the things that you need to be when you're trying to be as good as you can be with somebody who's quite different than you. But what I knew was is that we were losing the thing I cared about, which was that, that other place that we had. I felt it slipping away in this divide that has come in our country. If I were to illustrate it, it would look something like this. I am, look, those are perfectly lovely houses. I, I, I do want to say something. That guy with the pool there is the most popular guy in the neighborhood. <laughs> Clearly, right? But, but you, you know, in that neighborhood, those people are friendly to each other. They might even love each other. They, they, do, they mow their lawns and wave at each other and they borrow tools from each other and they're, they are genuinely friends in the way that the world thinks of friendships. But I think that that picture perfectly illustrates something else. Look at the backyards. Every single backyard has a high fence. They have a place that is separated from those other people. Meant to be, private, distinct from. If you know me, and I would say, if you know the Lord, not to equate myself with the Lord, 
But if you know me, you know that the most important thing in my life, the thing that drives me every single day is Jesus' last prayer. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in them, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And I just want to say, I absolutely do not believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have their own nice houses with a nice backyard that's fenced off from one another. I just don't believe that. And I don't live that. And everything in my life is to fight against that and to find new ways of becoming one with one another that take us to glorious places that are better than the best backyard and the best pool, that take us to places that are glorious in him. He's made us to be one with one another, and when we achieve that, it is the most satisfying, glorifying, fulfilling, incredible, wonderful, beautiful, magnificent thing that ever is when you really find that person, those people, right? So this is what I'm about. And I'm looking at what's happening right now, and I'm in this Facebook post, and I'm seeing a separation where we're going to have be cordial and borrow each other's tools, but we're going to have a backyard with a fence around it. And I'm grieving because of the closeness that I've had and that I want still. And as I'm grieving, I do what I always do when I'm grieving, is I go to the Lord and I say, what are you doing? Because I always know that he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so I go to the Lord and I say, what are you doing? And he brings to my mind Righteous Mind, which is a book that we've looked at. I will go only over this very briefly because we've looked at it so much. I don't want to bore people who are here a lot. But, but just real briefly, here's the idea behind Righteous Mind. The simplest way to boil it down is this. Every single person in the world has six planks inside of themselves that's below your rational mind, before it. And what happens is any information that comes into you goes into you and goes down into you and then it hits those planks and it reflects back up in a particular pattern. These guys went all around the world, not just America, they went around the world and they identified people that were of what they, they called a liberal bent and a conservative bent. And what they did was is that they found that liberals have an identifiable fingerprint of how they reflect, their planks reflect back to thought and to understanding and seeing the world. They have a particular pattern. And conservatives have another pattern. And what this person figured out was is that's why we see the world so differently. We genuinely see the world differently. It's not that one person's right and one person's wrong, and you can argue that, and please don't get hung up on this. Let me just, just go with me here because I want to show you something that God's doing. But what's being said is, is that there is this, this pattern that people are made to be in the Lord. Now, I want you to know something. Does anybody remember when we first worked on, started working on Righteous Mind? Can anybody take a guess? About how long ago was it? It was about a year. In fact, it was April of last year, which was right after the first uh, um, primaries had taken place. Not, well, the first stuff had taken place. But it was still long from being decided, and it already looked like it was going to be pretty contentious. Now think about what that, why I'm saying that. That means a year ago, God brought us the information that we needed today. And I want to say it this way. I've been preaching about that book for eight months, and I didn't understand it until this moment with the Facebook. I didn't understand what it was really saying. Let me show you what I'm talking about when I say that. This is the... The revelation I had was I suddenly realized my conception of oneness had an awful lot to do with agreement. The people that I can be one with, surely we have to agree. And surely the most important things we have to agree upon. How else could we possibly be one? Right? Now understand something, there's truth in that. But this is the thing that God showed me next. He showed me, I've been talking to you about righteous mind for a year, Kurt. You still don't get it. It's not about sameness. It's about difference. And then what he did is he showed me something. See, when I think about how to see the world, I just always assume that there was one way to see the world. 
And that was through the new eyes he gave me when he made me new. And that's really true now. Understand something when we talk here, mostly we're talking about Christians in this family being able to become one. Because I do want to say there's this thing about being unequally yoked. It's very difficult for a Christian to become one with somebody who isn't a Christian because there is a fundamental thing that they don't share, right? And that is existential. It's as deep as it gets because it's about God and the Spirit and whether he's there and all that kind of stuff. Having said that, I would like to say something. Everything I'm about to say still applies very much in that realm in all kinds of ways because I have to tell you, One of the people that I have considered to be one of my very deepest friends is not a Christian. And I have felt a remarkable oneness with this person for a lot of long time. So it's possible. God can actually give you love, adoration, respect, connect you, right? Even if. But having said that, there is something too when you got saved. I was blind and now I see right? It's like, I did not think there was a God, and then he spoke to me, and I went, oops, <laughs> okay, I guess there is, <laughs> right? And that changed everything, and I saw the world quite differently, to the point that at this point in time, knowing Jesus like I do, and I would have to say that that's very incomplete, but also a lot. But having said that, I can meet somebody from a different culture that belongs to an Eastern Orthodox church or something that's way outside of my tradition and so on. And when I'm talking to them, if I discover that they know Jesus and I hear it because of how they talk about him, when I discover we're connected, right? I'm in love with them because I see Christ in them and, I, and we're like, you know, let's link it up, okay? We're good. Connection made. I love them. So there is this thing that is true, and we have to remember it. There is something distinct about having become a Christian. One way of saying it is, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay? There's just things you just don't get if you don't know the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You just don't. Okay? If you are here and you don't know him, what a beautiful day to say, you know what? I need to get to know this guy. And you just ask him, would you show, me, show yourself to me? Would you just talk to me? Would you just enter into a relationship? Would you just start whatever it is, however it is? I don't care, right? If you're really there, help me, right? If you really say that, he likes that prayer. <laughs> okay, things will happen. Having said that, though, here's what happened in this Facebook moment a couple of weeks ago. I always thought that that was my oneness with people, and it is. In Christ is how I become one, because I can't do it otherwise. There's too many things that divide us. But in Christ, I can get past what divides in order to get to one. But having said that, all of a sudden, God showed me something that I had never seen before. I can say that, but it's probably not entirely true, but it certainly was a revelation for me in this moment. He not only makes us see things through the way he made us when he made us new, but he's, we see the world through the way he made me, be that a liberal or a progressive or a conservative. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. Watch this. Okay, which manifests the fullness of God? We're going to do some math here. You said there would be no math. I lied. There's math. Okay? There's plenty of programmers in here. If you don't understand it, say to them, what's that plus sign mean again? Okay? C plus C equals what? Programmers? 2C, right? So two conservatives together equal what? Two conservatives, <laughs> right? This is tough math, okay? You have to go to grad school for this algorithm stuff. All right, and two liberals together make up what? Two liberals. Now, I wanna say something. I like, I prefer to call liberals at this point in time progressives because that seems to be what they prefer. They prefer that label, and I agree with that, but you understand right now why I couldn't label it two Ps because then there's gonna be a lot of tweets about Kurt said 2P, okay? So don't tweet, okay? What's that, it's already gone out. Yeah, no, there you go, see, okay. So, so two L's, so here's, so here's what we've got in the world, see? We've got a bunch of C's together that make up a C church, and then we have a bunch of L's together that make up an L church. Now you tell me, is this what God meant when he said I pray that they all be one? Is that what he meant? 
I don't think so. So let's take it deeper. This is that graph that we've been using from Righteous Mind that talks about how a liberal takes these six planks and what reflects back. And what reflects back is primarily these first two and a little bit the third one. And it's, the first one is care and harm, liberty and oppression. And then there is some fairness on there too. And what happens is anything that happens, what they reflect back first is care. And we've looked at lots of examples of this, so I can't go into them right now. But I want to contrast that with what a conservative does. A conservative, it hits these six, and all six of them reflect. Now here's the problem. If you want to handle this simplistic, you'll say, well, it's got to be better to be a conservative because at least you're using all the planks. Right? Now watch. How does God identify himself? In the New Testament, God is love. Now he's also holy, and he never said that he wasn't holy, and he cares a lot about holiness, so much so that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us, which is the ultimate act of holiness and love. It's holy because he didn't blink at the things that you did when you chose to go away other than him. He made a way back to you by he himself taking upon himself. And so it, it fulfills all of his holiness, which is perfect. Holy, 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 perfect. But it becomes love. Because it's him taking what we were due upon himself. In fact, let me tell you in the Old Testament, watch this. The Lord passes before Moses, who's been with God all the time, face to face, talking to him. And what he does is he says, he says, you know what? The more I'm with you, the more I know there's more to you. You got to show me who you really are. And he says, well, you can't and live, but well, here's what I will do. I'll put you in a cleft in a rock. I'll, I'll put my hand over it and I'll pass by declaring my name. The very last you can look, okay? But here's the name that he declares when he walks past. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And then he goes to the other side of the coin, who will by no means clear the guilty. He visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the children's children, the third and fourth generation. And he may say, well, that's not very nice of you, but here's what he's saying. No, when you do something, it's going to carry down to your children. Do you care about them? Do you love them enough to not do what you want to do that's going to harm them? Don't go have that affair. You understand? That's going to affect your children. If you've done that, seek his grace. Because the God who's being revealed in this is a God of what? Yes, holiness, but love. He's expressing care for you. <laughs> Even when he gets tough on it. It's care. Which is what again? Isn't that that kind of liberal thing? What if, what if what really is happening in the world is, what if it's possible that God actually did make liberals? <laughs> what if it's actually possible that God did make conservatives? Is it possible? Is it possible? Is it not only probable? And if it's probable, is there something he's doing in it that's important? And if I were to graphically show you, what if what he's doing looks at something like this? You take the liberal and the conservative and you move them together and you get a new picture, which is the fullness of God. What if I don't manifest the fullness of God alone? And what if me and all my conservative friends together do not manifest the fullness of God? What if me, my conservative friends, and my liberal friends together start to image them. See, that's not liberal or conservative. It's not liberal because these right-hand planks are very big and thick and full and rich and God is using them. But it's not conservative because he's still waited over there about care and harm, about the things of love. Not that there's not love in these other things. Don't misunderstand me. But do, can, are we getting it? Is, it? is it resonating? I'm hearing some ahas. What if what the church that God wants is supposed to look like this? 
What if it's supposed to be God's church, God's image, because all the conservatives and all the liberals are getting together and becoming one, despite their differences? Because here's what's actually happening in the church right now. We have a few liberals mixed in with the conservatives. Now, Lake Sam is not like that. First of all, we live in the Northwest, okay? So if you're going to have a church of conservatives, me and the other 10 of us are going to have a great church, okay? Even conservatives up here are liberal in Texas, okay? And that's because we've been flavored with things that are important and are valuable, and it's moved things. So the bottom line is, is what we've got is a church that looks like that. And whenever you have a few liberals sprinkling in with the conservatives, what happens to the liberals? What's the minus sign mean? It means subtract. And what happens is the liberals leave the church and you end up with a church that's filled with only C's. And across the country, that's what we've got right now. We've got a church of God that has a lot of C's in it and not a lot of L's. And that's exactly what God is trying to smash because it's not the image of God. There's a dynamic that has taken place inside the church, inside of what happens, and there's other reasons that we don't have time to go into about why this happened. But the argument that I'm trying to make with you right now is, is that God has a deeper purpose in what he's trying to do. And he wants us to embrace this thing at a different level. This is, how many people know Gene Luane Yang? Does anybody in here know him? Okay, well, he, he's a graphic artist, graphic novelist. He just won the MacArthur Grant back in September, the Genius Grant, they call it. And he's a Christian. And the CT, Christianity Today, guy's interviewing me. He says, when I ask Yang about the current political climate in the United States, his response even goes, goes even further than empathy, which is to say have empathy for the other side. You see what he's saying? He goes beyond empathy. Here's what he says. He argues that we need people who are different than us. He's Chinese-American brought up in America, and he thought for most of my life, he said, I, I thought that that was a negative. I hated being different. But he said, the older I've got and the more that I've come to appreciate what it is that God's doing in the world, the more I've come to appreciate that my difference is what makes me valuable, that I'm part of the whole that I'm supposed to be flavoring. And so what he says is, I believe that if you have two poles, if they're both healthy, you can have a pole that's not healthy, right? But if they're both healthy, the tension between them ought to lead somewhere good. If we play different roles, even if it seems like we're in opposition to one another, what comes out is good. And here's what I said. Now, look, know what time this is. I said this at 3.48 in the morning on this Facebook post. I've been posting all day. I'd written, if you've ever seen my Facebook posts like this, you probably haven't read them because you looked and you said, my God, doesn't he understand that Facebook is supposed to be short comments? <laughs> okay? I mean, mine are novels. Okay? And so I'd been doing novels all day long and having this grief kick in as I was doing them. And at 3.48 in the morning, I woke up grieved over what was happening. And I started to write, to process, to try and understand what God was doing. And I came to a place to where I said to this person that I love so much and these two people, I used to think that what you and others experience is a misunderstanding and that I could help bridge the gap. Like you really don't understand me if you just understand then, then that we could find some agreement. What I'm discovering is that it's existential. It's the very heart of our being. It's these planks. It can't be gapped. Rather, it must be appreciated. For we're finite. And understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying it needs to be appreciated. There's a lot of things that are going on right now that are anti-God. And I don't have to become one with what's anti-God. But what I have to have you, what we have to understand is there's a lot of people who are, who are wanting to be in the church, who love God, who really are Christians, and who God built a certain way to see things a certain way, and they're reflecting back a certain thing, and they're not being appreciated. The value of what they're supposed to bring so that it flavors me in a way that I become looking more like God in community with them is not happening. Do you see it? That's what I'm arguing for. And so I said, appreciated, for we are finite beings needing each other to be whole. Fallible beings needing what the other brings if we're ever going to actually approach the fullness of truth, the image of God. And that is not some flowery generalization meant to paper over significant differences. I find myself like Rodney King saying, can't we all just get along? Through this whole political nightmare, I'm discovering God is saying yes, but not because you agree, 
but rather because we can be better and strongly precisely because of our disagreements. But that's going to take a kind of miracle only he can do. And suddenly I have a much deeper appreciation for Jesus' final prayer for oneness. Now understand, I'm not preaching to you about some Facebook post. And I'm not preaching to you about some political thing. I'm preaching to you about an existential difference that God made in me while I was working through a Facebook post. And the existential difference he did was he said, your oneness always had to do with a certain level of agreement. And I want to tell you, that's not even close to the oneness I can make. Because I can make two people who are utterly different be one. And that's better. And so I went to God and I said, how in the world can I do this? Because let's be clear, everything I've set up until now is Christianese, nice and flowery. But what the heck does it mean in real practice? When you're having dinner with somebody who really feels quite differently about what's happening in the world than you do, how do you be one with them? How do you do that? And all of a sudden the Lord said, you can't. <laughs> you can't do it. You need a miracle. You need me to do something. You can do that stuff, like Eric Lee pointed out, where we were before everything went to hell in a handbasket. This is the word picture that he put up. And I'm so proud of this word picture because that's actually who we are. Supportive and loving and caring and with one another and supporting one another and doing all these wonderful things with each other. And this is incredible. But here's what God is doing since then. He's not chastising us. He's blessing us. He's not upset. He, what he's saying is, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. Guess what? You're not a branch that he removed. He didn't cut you off. You were doing good. And so what he says is, he prunes every branch that produces fruit, that's us, so that it'll do what? More. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to take us to a whole new level of oneness. We've enjoyed magnificently, gloriously, because of his Holy Spirit, a level of oneness that is extraordinary. Your prayer earlier today about home, I found home. That's what people say over and over and over. You find a connection. You find a oneness. You find people that love you and you love. And it is amazing what God does here. But what if there's a whole other level of what God can do? And so I'm thinking about this at three o'clock in the morning. And I, and I posted that and I'm going, what are you doing, Lord? And how am I supposed to do this in a real way and everything else? And all of a sudden he brings to me the most obvious example you could ever imagine. Where's another place in the world where God takes two completely different people and makes them one? <laughs> right? Huh? If you're not married, hang in there with me. It works. What do I always say about marriage? Marriage is about God teaching us how to what? Love and other. Love somebody who's completely different than you. Here's the truth about love, marriage love. When you first get together, it's like this. It's sameness. Oh my God, I found somebody who sees the world just like I do. This is incredible. You know what I mean? And we're, we sit on the same side of the bench so we can look at the world together because you complete me, you make me whole. This is awesome, right? And then what happens? You get married. <laughs> <clears throat> and thank God we have a honeymoon that lasts for however long. But at some point in time after that honeymoon, what happens? You begin to realize you're not the same at all. <laughs> Men are from Mars and women are from Venus and there is this painful thing that happens and you come apart and suddenly it's two people in this relationship trying to figure out how to be one. And it is hard. If you don't believe me, just join a threefold. See what the number one topic is amongst people that are married. It's this. Now here's what God's doing. Anybody who's been married a long time knows that there is a love that you have when you first get together that is the most awesome, wonderful, incredible, beautiful, spectacular, breathtaking, gorgeous love that you could ever imagine. Until God brings you one that just makes it look like nothing. Until God brings you into a totally different... This is a love of sameness. God will bring you to a love of difference. 
When you start to realize that person is totally different than you, that's the beginning of what God's trying to do with you. And what he's trying to do is get you to where you really appreciate it. No, you don't just appreciate it, you need it. I'm going to show you something I've showed you before. I'm going to do this quickly. I did a whole sermon about it, so I'm not going to dwell on it now. This is about Julie and I. I just want to illustrate the point. This is my car. It's a little dark, but you can see it. This is my card. Notice that there's a cord for the phone and not one other thing on any seat. In fact, you want to see what an anal retentive I am? Look at the back of the car. That is a clean carpet with a cart for whatever I might need. Julie's the one that always puts it there for me. Thank you, Julie. But the bottom line is there's nothing in that car but what I need in that car at that moment. Now I want to show you Julie's car. See the stuff hanging there? See the clothes there on the seat? I have to move and for me to sit down. See that cooler there? You see there's cardboard in there. Why would there be cardboard in a car? You see all those sheets there? And you see that's just leather straps and stuff like this. Let's go ahead and take a look at this from the back end. Okay, look at that. It's filled. Those are bags over there. Who has any idea what that is? And, and you know, okay. Now, now, I want to tell you something. When I first got together with her, she was not neater than she is now. But I didn't care. It didn't bother me at all. It didn't mean anything to me. But we've been together close to 40 years now, and I'm here to tell you, that bothers the hell out of me now. <laughs> that really bothers me. And it really bothered me a lot until I did a sermon on it some months ago, and God said, I want you to look at that car through different eyes. I want you to see what's on that front seat right there because those are clothes that somebody didn't have enough money to do something that they needed to do and Julie took clothes out of her closet and then went to her garage where she has other clothes and brought those over so that this person would have the perfect clothes for the thing that they needed. And that cooler right back there is because she feeds literally thousands of people with a food ministry and she needs cold and sometimes, and that cardboard there is because she's shipping things all the time to people all over the place. Those linens right there are so that we can have events that don't just have tables but they have nice linens and, get, and things on them and so on. And in the back, those are leather samples for a project that she's doing with somebody for them, not for her. She gets nothing out of it, but she's helping somebody do something. And then that, and then you see, as we, as we look at this, that Nordica bag over there, that's my Nordica bag. That's a ski bag. It's actually hers, but she was getting something out of it for me. Okay. And these bags and all of this stuff, that box that was down there at the bottom, that was her sending something to somebody that needed this. And if I told you the story behind it, it'd make you cry. Who she was sending what? We're different. But when I see that through the proper eyes, I don't see something that I hate. <laughs> I see something I wish I was. I literally, literally fulfilled the Samaritan parable in the negative on Thursday about this sermon. I go for my walk very early in the morning. I come back. There's a little elevator that I go down into in the garage, and then I go up to my, our condo, and, and I, I get to that elevator, and there's a guy sleeping by the elevator. And I literally said to myself, I can't do anything about this because I got to write this sermon. That's the Samaritan parable. By the way, when I was doing it, I knew it was a Samaritan parable. I didn't realize it later. I went, oh my God, I'm the, I'm the guy who's walking around the person that has need. You want to know who never walks around that person? I don't just want what she's got. I don't just need what she's got. I couldn't value who she is more because I'm not that. And God isn't asking me to be that. By the way, the thing that I am, she finds enormous value in too. Here's when she doesn't find value in it, by the way. This is a little sidebar for marriages. When I'm picking at her about the things I hate, well, then she hates me too <laughs> and my stuff. But when I'm valuing her and the things in which she's quite distinct from me, then miracle of miracles, she actually seems to value something in me. 
You see us? We're there, aren't we? This is big stuff. God's got this incredible analogy of what he's doing all the time. And so the one thing that happened to me was, watch this, God's goal, when you realize that you won't and can't be what the other is, but you know how badly you want, need, appreciate, love, that's supposed to be love, who the other is. That's God's goal. But now listen, we're talking about being one with each other, and guess what I discovered? X plus Y makes Julie and me more than we could ever be alone. Right? God said, I pray that they will all be one. And I understand that in the marriage context, but now I'm applying it to you, being one with each other. And here's what I discovered. I realized that loving another, not a spouse, can be more difficult because I don't have all the perks and incentives. I never... I never, you never took my breath away when I saw you the first time. <laughs> Respectfully, sorry, but, but I never lusted after your body when I first saw you. And <laughs> thank God for that. Are we tracking here? When I have to become one with somebody to the same depth, I don't mean in intimacy sexually, I mean when I have to become one with somebody that I don't have all the perks and incentives that help me get past, that can actually be more difficult. But it's what God is gonna do in order to make his bride spotless. It's what God is gonna do in order to make his bride manifest a fullness of God that the world does not see. And that makes the world go, what's that? We think they're gonna believe because we tell them about Jesus. They're gonna believe because we're one with somebody that they know they can't be one with somebody like that. Yes. That's what makes them go, what is that? You want the question? Be the answer. Right? God is not going for this. He's going for this. This is my new favorite threefold. <laughs> These guys are one. It's just amazing what they're doing. Two of them are sitting right here laughing. So I love that you guys are sitting up front. This is what he's doing in threefolds. This is what he's doing in our body. He's trying to make people really become one. This is what I am with my threefolds. I'm in love with them. I carry them. I carry them, and they carry me. And all of a sudden, God started to reorient me to the fullness of what this leather strap is about. We don't have them up here today, but anyway. But remember, we've been saying this leather strap, what we've been saying is, is it's to remind you to reach out in this phylactery way where there's the word in your head and there's the word in your heart and it comes out your heart to your arm and then it goes out to the very furthest finger so that you're reaching out to the Samaritan, the person that's not like you. You're reaching out to them as far as you can get. And all of a sudden what the Lord said to me about this Sunday is, is he said, if you're going to do that for the Samaritan, why aren't you doing that with the person that's sitting next to you in church? Reaching out to him with everything you've got. Because God said, be humble thinking of others is better than yourselves. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, this body recognizes that what we need is a miracle. We recognize that these things that we're talking about, we can't do in ourselves, but you've given us an image, a pattern to follow. And we say in Jesus' holy and precious name that we will, we will embrace that metaphor, that, that thing, and we will start treating other people as if they were a spouse, not in the weird way of that, but we will start treating them with the kind of respect and the kind of dignity and the kind of value that we do when we are in love with someone. And we ask you in Jesus' holy and precious name to make that be who we are with one another. 
as we extend our love as strongly as we possibly can. Let others feel it and begin to reciprocate. Let our Facebook conversations be marvels to the world of the valuing and preferring and humility and, and yet openness and candor valuing our differences, agreeing with them, being changed by them, being moved by them, but understanding that we're not that, but that we become that when we're together, both of us. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, would you take us and make us one? It was your final prayer. It's the one that I'm praying for every fiber of my being. It's the one that your body, your family comes. Would you right now begin to pray this? God, make us one. Make me one with all the others that you want me to be one with. Pray that. Mean that. Speak that into existence, into your heart. In Jesus' holy front of you are two cups. In the bottom cup is the life that we have lived that we have broken. It's not the life God had for us. It's the life that we chose and it led to division. It led to fences. It led to separation from you, from each other put our fingers in there recognizing what we have done and break it. Now we say in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this cup up to you. We recognize that we have broken our lives and we recognize that you, God, can put them back together. You can make us whole. You can heal us. So in Jesus' name, we take this bottom cup and we say, heal us, Lord. fact is, is that Jesus, on the day that you died on that cross, in that moment, every single thing for us to live the fullness of the life that we just talked about was completed. It may not be manifested in our lives, but it was done, it was finished, and it's available. So in Jesus' name, we lift this second cup in which is this life. The life is in the blood. And we lift this life up to you, saying in Jesus' holy and precious name, make that life that you have for me be the only life that I'm living. No more bifurcated between world and you. God, let me live your life and your life alone. Take together. Thank you, Lord. With eyes still closed, if you do not know the Lord, this is the moment. If you didn't take it a cup, even if you did, just speak it to him. God, I want to get to know you. In Jesus' holy and precious name.